you for joining us today on Smart Investing in the USA. Our guest today is Matt Shuhai, Director of Deloitte Consulting, based in San Francisco. Matt has over two decades of experience in domestic and international site selection development, specializing in global deployment strategy, market entry, supply chain strategy, and site selection consulting. Matt joined CS Nordics recently for a Select USA Roadshow through the five Nordic countries. So it's a special pleasure to have him back today to tell us more about what site selection consultants do. How can Matt and his fellow site selection professionals help you expand your operations to the United States? We'll find out more today. Hello, Matt, and welcome to the program. Thanks for joining us to talk about the site selection and global strategies businesses for investors. You are what we often refer to as a site selection consultant, even though today you and others like you do so much more than just site selection. So the title may undersell the services that you actually provide. But to begin with, can you tell our listeners what a site selection consultant does? I'd be happy to. Thank you, Kevin. Site selection, as Kevin mentioned, is uh, is a somewhat narrow definition. It really, if done properly, is helping companies to operationalize their market entry. So, of course, selection of an asset or a location is an outcome, but there is a tremendous amount of other issues that need to be considered, including how you enter a market from a legal perspective, you know, what type of organizational model you would want to uh, to stand up in your new market, what type of uh, partnership if you want to enter as a JV or with other other types of partners, or if you want to do this as a wholly owned entity. So legal structure. There's also understanding the tax consequences of how you structure your company. And first and foremost is also understanding you know the business issues at hand and understanding why you want to enter a market and who your competition is, and that will be helpful for you to understand making a proper location decision. You know, as I travel around um, different countries, it's, it seems that your profession isn't equally well known in all areas of the world, and many would-be investors that may be listening may never have heard of a site selection consultant or know even that your services exist. What are, what do you find that investors are missing out on if they don't engage the services of someone like yourself? Well, I mean, it's really something, in, as I mentioned earlier, it's there are a lot of different factors that need to be considered uh, and the trade-offs. And typically, without using someone that has had experience across all of these factors, where it be, you know, legal, tax, HR, supply chain, uh, risk assessment, it, what ends up happening is companies may tend to overemphasize a specific factor at the expense of others. So just looking for a factory or office space is not letting you look at the other broader uh, consequences of making that decision. Just finding available space doesn't mean it's in the proper uh, position within a labor market, that it may not be sustainable for the long term for the entity. So, you know, in short, 
it's it's easy if companies do this themselves to not consider all of the factors in balance and the trade-offs that they need to consider. But when should a uh, company, say in Sweden or in Argentina, that's thinking about investing in the United States, when should they contact you or a site selection consultant? How far along in their expansion planning do they need to be before they contact you? Well, you know, the the short answer to that, Kevin, is sooner than later, uh, because there's a lot of, you know, there are many factors consider, and a lot of these are dealing with governmental agencies and people outside your, you know, the control of the company. So give yourself the benefit of time to navigate many different stakeholders that have set agendas, calendars, uh, you, you can expedite decision-making and, and the process to some extent, but not completely. Now, having said that, uh, the best time to engage a, a outside consultant is when a, the mandate is well-known within the company. That's not always the case. Uh, there are times that we all work for clients that they think they want to expand into a market, and it's more exploratory, and that's fine. But to get into the level of analysis and, and frankly, to the expenses incurred to use an outside uh, vendor, it's really helpful to have at least senior management aligned around the mandate for expansion into a new market. Well, I, I know that you work uh, on a global basis, um, but are there consultants that that work just nationwide in the United States or do some specialize in certain geographic areas or certain industries? Well, it's, I think it's a combination of all those things, Kevin. There are uh, many different participants in the location strategy space, uh, ranging from large companies such as Deloitte to small boutique companies. Now, there tends to be both a geographic and a industry focus. There are consultancies that are entirely focused on shared services and the outsourcing of of enabling functions, and that's all that they, in call centers, and that's all that they focus on, and that may be geographic, and it could also be global. Now, manufacturing, uh, manufacturing, for example, there are a lot of geographic players. There are many boutique consultancies that work in manufacturing, the manufacturing space, just solely in the U.S., and many times solely in an industry, maybe primarily supporting the automotive industry and their suppliers. So there is a mosaic of participants in in this space but they generally there is some geography uh geographic you know bias and there's also industry bias it really depends on what 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 part of the market you're looking at well one of the questions that um, our listeners may have is uh how are these services priced are fees based on a per hour basis usually they're typically based, and I can speak the way that we do this, and it's in my experiences, it's similar for other consultancies, that these tend to be fixed fee type of engagements based on activities or outcomes. So there is a process that all consultants use that is a pretty standard methodology that has specific decision gates. And typically pricing is based on you know, complete, completion of a, of a certain set of activities. For example, if you're looking globally 
for a new manufacturing plant, the first step in the process would be to start with the world and really winnow the list down to the countries that meet the bare minimums of the project. You know, that would be one phase of the of the engagement or scope of work and typically would have a fixed fee for that specific set of activities. And then it becomes the process becomes more granular where you're focusing in on a very specific set of countries, then cities, then sites or buildings, and it kind of iterates. So each step along the way is typically uh, priced as a fixed fee the way that we do it. And uh, there's decisions that have to be made by the stakeholders. You know, it's not uncommon that after a certain number of steps, somebody may stop or wait. So it gives it gives the the clients flexibility, but it is, you know, it is based on a fixed fee for the value delivered by phase. In the United States, um, each state and city and geographic region uh, has their own. Uh, economic development organization, uh, or what we sometimes call EDOs. Um, sometimes they're uh, state departments of commerce. Uh, they go by a variety of names. But how do you work with EDOs? Yeah, that's a, especially as it relates to the U.S., it's a very fragmented landscape in terms of EDOs. Uh, and because there are EDOs that are governmentally sponsored and are actually departments of state governments or local governments. And there's also EDOs that are public private partnerships that have funding from uh, the private sector. And it is, it is a bit of a challenge to navigate. Uh, typically we will start at the state level. Now, keeping in mind that, you know, GRI, you know, these are governmental bodies that are, you know, functioning within a specific geography. Now, the reality is that geography is also interesting from labor market perspectives. There are, there are many places in the U.S. that a major metropolitan area may lay in, you know, may really impact three different states. And so you, you're really having to work with a regional group that will cross state lines. Uh, Memphis is an example. Tennessee, Mississippi, and Arkansas are all part of the MSA. So they, you know, a lot of the these geographies have created regional, Charlotte's another example, regional organizations that look at the metropolitan area and will navigate the different EDOs that may represent the states that are participating. In some parts of the world, uh, it's illegal for a state or a city to offer unique incentives to investors uh, but that's not the case in the United States. These, uh, you know, in some countries, these regulations and incentives are established by the national government. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about how it works in the United States and and how, what the competitive landscape looks like? Yeah, it's it varies very much by each state's constitution. But there's even states where it may not be on the face of it, legal to provide assistance, there are ways that they've worked around that per se, is that, because uh, you're trying to create a win-win situation. Each of these you know, jurisdictions is really interested in creating jobs, you know, skilled jobs with, you know, good wages, and also the tax benefits from, you know, constructing a facility or leasing a building. So they, there's always ways that you can, and it varies dramatically by jurisdiction, that they can provide support 
as long as it's made to, you know, that it really is beneficial to all parties. And a very good example of that is training. That, you know, many jurisdictions will provide training uh, for a specific company for, uh, either to start up or ongoing. And obviously there's a direct benefit to the company, but there's also a direct benefit to the community because the company is not necessarily obligated to hire these people. But now you have upskilled the, the labor force that can be used, you know, these skills could be used for other employers or elsewhere in the marketplace. So as, as long as, generally speaking, the, any support you get from a government can be seen as beneficial to the general population, as well as the company, that usually is not a problem in any state in the U.S. I think um, it, it ranges uh, quite a bit, uh, the incentives from state to state or city to city. In some cases, a city may even have a, um, a industrial area where they have free land available, or there may be uh, all kinds of negotiating leeway that they may have that are not on the books or on the websites that a potential investor might be looking at. And that's uh, perhaps where the site selection consultant comes in in discovering these these uh, flexibilities. Yeah, that that is true, but absent even using a, a you know a, an outside vendor, it's that being in any interaction with governmental agencies as it relates to support of a project. I always and we always advocate for you need it, it, it's always to the company's benefit to be prescriptive. So in other words, be very upfront with what you're looking for. Are you look you know as much detail as you're comfortable with, that you are looking for a factory of so many square meters with a site of this size. And that way it allows you to evaluate the responses that you may get from the different jurisdictions because many do have land that they've set aside for the purpose of economic development and they're for the right project because not everyone would qualify. Uh, they would they would consider providing that land because the benefit to the community meets the thresholds of what why they set that land aside. So a good example of this would be you know a data center, which is a very intensive in terms of capital investment type of project, but does not necessarily create a lot of jobs, at least not commensurate with the, the investment mm. versus a manufacturing plant, which may have a smaller investment but create more jobs. So it's incumbent upon, you know, you providing this information to the lo to the local authorities so that they can look at their business case on whether this meets the criteria for them in terms of either job creation or new tax revenue from property taxes that would allow them to say, yes, we'll give you the land for free. Mm -hmm. So, again, being prescriptive. You know, it's not always discovering it. It's it's actually also helping them decide whether you meet the criteria, whether they own land uh, for this specific purpose, or whether the project is of uh, you know significant scale where they may consider doing this on an ad hoc basis. Uh, one of the uh, most frequent questions that uh, I get from investors is about taxes in the United States. There's different tax levels or incentives depending on federal, uh, state, uh, local. Uh, do you help your clients understand these complex regulations? 
Uh, yeah, because that is it's that's back to one of our earlier comments. It's it's frequent when a company may be considering entering a market, they may be focusing too much on tax and looking for the best tax environment, which may not meet or match the operating environment. But taxes, regardless, you know, are very uh, they should be managed. And you did mention there are essentially if you categorize the different types of taxes, there are federal taxes, which are the same throughout the U.S. There are things you can do around your federal taxes, but that's much more of your global tax planning. And it really doesn't, you know, choosing a state doesn't really impact that effort. Now, there are taxes levied at the state level, uh, which are usually income taxes, and there could be franchise taxes, a whole host of taxes on the entity. And then there are taxes that are levied locally, which tend to be based on property taxes, sales taxes, and the like. The, the, the local taxes vary dramatically between states, and so do the state taxes. So there's... But in essence, they all work essentially the same way, but the programs can be very different. So it's always whether you're, you know, conducting a location search on your own, it's always a good idea to have some tax advice so that you understand some of the and manage the consequences of the decision you make, because it can lead to, uh, you know, leaving money on the bottom line that you didn't necessarily have to do. So that that's part of uh, the services that you provide. Absolutely, it's yeah. it's a large part of the services that we provide, and many other location strategists do as well. Well, are there different tax levels or incentives for foreign investors versus domestic investors in the U.S.? Yeah, typically there is not a differentiation made by the origin of the investment, uh, whether it be outside the U.S. or a domestic investment. Essentially, for the state and local authorities, they're looking to be able to make a business case to their constituents that if they provide support for the investment, that there's an adequate return to the economy in terms of job creation, wages, capital expenditure, which leads to taxation or taxes levied on property. But it's also, in addition to the direct impact, there's also secondary impacts and tertiary impacts to the economy of any investment. And those are all evaluated in an econometric model that any state or local community will use to build the business case for for why they're providing support for the investment. One of the most frequent questions we get besides taxes and visas is, um, is about legal aspects of site selection or uh, global strategies. Um, Do you provide clients with uh, legal advice? We do not per se our firm uh, because of the structure of our firm and the relation to our accountancy practice. But there are many legal law firms. And again, very much like site selection consultants, they're very large law firms that specialize in this. And there are boutique law firms that specialize in this. But I will say it's always good to have legal counsel. But you know, in terms of entering the U.S. as as opposed to entering other markets, the U.S. is is actually very simple and straightforward comparatively in terms of setting up an entity and having a business. But it's still you should consult a a lawyer to make sure that you're doing it properly because undoing something is, many times is more time-consuming and costly than doing it right the first time, which is essentially conventional wisdom. But the process itself in, in setting up an entity 
uh, a legal entity in the U.S. is is relatively straightforward. Well, once you've helped a a client uh, narrow down the uh, location and consider logistics and taxes and everything else, do you work with uh, real estate agents um, in the location? It, it depends. Uh, if it's and it really is the scale of the project, uh, because in the U.S., companies can can represent themselves. They're not required to have a broker. So if you're looking at a massive investment, let's let's use an auto plant as an example, which you're looking at thousands of acres that you're trying to uh, to secure, you typically would not be dealing with the brokerage community at that point. Uh, just for the fact you don't want speculation, you would deal directly with the state government and they would, given the scale of the project, it is not unusual that they would assemble the site on your behalf hmm. and make it part of the incentives package. Yeah. Now, if you're if you're looking at smaller office space or a headquarters or, you know, perhaps a, you know, a pink collar type of location, which is a call center, then you're, you're talking at a scale that you would, you would be interacting with the local brokerage community. One question I have is, uh, you, you know, you've worked with clients from all over the world and, and domestically. Uh, what would you say are the top two or three most common mistakes you see foreign investors making when they set up operations in the U.S.? Uh, well, the, the most common mistake is, uh, is it with it's basically the lack of understanding of the geography and depth of the U.S. And there's it, typically you will find foreign investors first drawn to the major metropolitan areas, which is not unusual. But being in California, for example, or near L.A., unless there's a strategic reason to do it, it's not a it's not a moderate cost location. So it's, it's really, you know, one of the biggest mistakes is not understanding where are the, the next tier of cities that you could find moderate operating costs, be proximate to centers of population if it's a consumer product versus just being in New York or L.A. or San Francisco. There are legitimate reasons to be in those markets, but it's understanding that you're willing to pay the premium to do it. Anyway, other common mistakes, and I alluded to a bit earlier, is allowing or using one of the factors to drive the decision process and that it's not in balance with the others. Mm -hmm. So it's not uncommon that a lot of uh, companies start with what incentives can I get? Because they're published, you know, there's, there's this idea that you, you want to get what everyone else got, you know, kind of mentality. But, you know, realistically, incentives are fleeting. They're not there for the entire life of the investment. In fact, when we work with clients, you know, if it's not uncommon in the factors that they want to consider in relative importance, the incentives are very close to the top of the list. Once they go through this process, they realize that, you know, incentives are something you want to have, but you want to have them in places that make sense for you for the long term. So the in short, the location has to work and be sustainable absent any incentive. And then incentives become a benefit, you know, an additional benefit. So a lot of times people, you know, companies start with where can we get the most support and not really looking at what incentives mean, because you have to look holistically at the overall op operating costs, because incentives, you can't look at them in a vacuum. 
because there are many places that may offer an incentive such as a property tax rebate for a very low investment and basically what they're doing is making their overall tax burden similar to the state that's adjacent to them that mm. hasn't had to offer any incentives so you have to look at it in a in the collectively to understand are you really getting an incentive your or is this really changing my overall cost of operations mm. so that's that's something that gets overlooked people essentially scoreboard watch saying we we want to get the most incentives, not realizing that you've just made the cost on par with the neighboring jurisdiction. I, you know, I I used to work for a state EDO, and um, one one of the most common uh, mistakes that I often saw uh, foreign investors making was not hiring uh, local talent once they set up their operation. You know, it's necessary to bring in uh, personnel from the home office, but it's also necessary to hire local talent mm-hmm. that knows the uh, the territory and the map. Uh, how how can um, uh, companies investors find local talent? Do you help them do that? We do help them do that, and you know this is, and every company does this a little bit differently. And it's really the the issue of tech transfer, especially as manufacturing uh, cross industries becomes more and more complex. Is how do you transplant the knowledge from outside the U.S. into the new operation? You know, there's there are many different ways to do that through change management and organizationally. But you're right. It's you. Any way that you approach it, there's always a component of local knowledge and expertise that needs to be part of the equation. Now, what ends up happening, it could be temporal, where you bring people from the home office or from an existing operation uh, initially, and the idea is for them to kind of work their way out of a job, right? That mm-hmm. they find the local talent, they're there for two years so that they bring the culture, instill the culture and the technology and the new operation, but they're basically training their replacement uh, people that are going to be locally hired that will then take on running the plant. Because it's extremely expensive to have ex- expatriates in any jurisdiction for uh, you know a- any period of time. So if you, the best programs I've ever seen are very conscientious in terms of there are milestones, it's based on not just time, but you know, accomplishments, achievements that can be measured, uh, and it is always a process of transferring the technology and having the local operation stand on its own. The last topic I'd like to ask you about is trends in foreign investment in the United States. Uh, do you see uh, a trend towards reshoring uh, in the U.S. or trends of um, any certain type of companies coming into the U.S. and setting up operations? Yeah, there's there's a few trends, and it's interesting when we hear reshoring. Uh, I will say that it's a little bit more complicated than that. There have been some very visible and publicized plants that have closed, for instance, in Asia, usually in mach- heavy machinery, that have come back to the U.S. And I, th- I would say those are unique when we talk about reshoring, reshoring, I would say, I would pose it this way, that most companies are not going to close their overseas operations and move them back to the U.S. 
But as they consider future investments and expansion, the U.S. is now winning more of those as that would have typically gone offshore. Or if it's an internal discussion of do we expand our center in Bangalore, India, or do we create a center in the U.S., it's, it's becoming more common that it's been the latter and not the former, which is kind of – it's a slow reversal of the trend of a lot of the enabling functions and low-cost manufacturers going offshore. They're now considering the U.S. because there are many parts of the U.S., especially when you can look at access to the, cons you know, the consumer market, you look at you know, the currency valuation, you look at productivity, you can make the argument that um, – and automation, by the way, and the and the skills to stand up and 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 really operate automation, automated facilities, it really kind of levels the playing field for the U.S. in many ways. And then in terms of investment into the U.S., uh, you you still see a steady stream of uh, of investors that this is their largest consumer market. If they're making products such as cars or you know other consumable goods that are you know really you know you're not wanting to sh you know there's the continuity of their supply chain and shipping these and tariffs and other uh, issues it makes it easier for them to enter the US and just produce here so there's you know that trend is not anything new it may have slowed slightly because with oil prices coming down takes some of the pressure off of the supply chain but uh, you know invariably they will go back up Matt really appreciate you spending some time with us i think um Companies that are thinking of investing in the U.S. benefit from you know, the information that you've shared with us. And the last question I have is, how how would they find, how would they locate a site selection, someone like yourself? Well, there's always, uh, everyone in this industry has online presence. But there are specific, there's different organizations you can use as well. There are publications that list consultants. One that comes to mind in the U.S., which is a, if you want to see, the, it's not every site selection consultant, but it's arguably the leading light, uh, site selection consultants are members of a new organization called the Site Selectors Guild. Uh, going to that website, you're going to have access to all the the large firms and boutique firms. It's a it's a cross section of the leading uh, consultants in this space. That's a that's an easy place to start if you're looking for someone to help you within the U.S. There's also foreign members as well in Asia and Europe. Uh, the, that would be, for me, one of the easiest places to start. Matt, these have been great ideas on how investors can team up with site selection consultants to improve the chances of success. We want investors to be successful when they come to the United States, and we appreciate all that you and your colleagues do to make that work. We have been talking with Matt Shuhai of Deloitte Consulting. Thank you for spending time with us, Matt. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you, Kevin. You have been listening to Smart Investing in the USA, a production of the Commercial Service in the Nordics. Have a great week. <laughs>